Amen. Well, do me a favor, track down a Bible if you can, and get with me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. We're doing a series now going through the first chapter of James in small chunks, and we're looking at um, this pastoral letter that James gave to his church, that he sent to his church to help them navigate some difficult days. And so we're learning from him and we're allowing the voice of James, the voice of God himself to speak over us and to help us navigate the troubling times that we find ourselves in today. So James chapter one, verses two to four, I'm going to read it, then I'll pray and we'll get to work. James one, starting in verse two, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Let's pray. Lord, we ask right now that you, by your word, by your spirit through your word, that you would speak over each of us. We pray, God, that you would steady us in these uncertain times that you would help us to gracefully navigate, navigate these challenges. Lord, help us to become what you want us to be. And please do this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. James chapter 1, uh, we're going to see here this pain, a process, and the purpose for it, the pain of the trial, the process that God is working to make us more like Christ, and then the purpose of it, which is to become complete and mature, lacking nothing. So the, the pain, he's speaking into a situation. We noticed last week that his church is scattered, that he's the leader of a Jerusalem church. And because of persecution, they all had to peace out. They all had to run for their lives. They're scattered all over the place. So he writes a letter to them and he's trying to encourage them. He's trying to help them. And um, he, he does that in a very strange way. He encourages them with a very bizarre word. And it's a, a word of, in the midst of what you're going through, rejoice. Uh, I am a words of affirmation dude. If you're familiar with the love languages, um, there are different, this author suggests there are different ways that we communicate and receive love. And for me, it is words of affirmation or words of encouragement. And so... You know, I'm, I get filled up and you guys have done an excellent job of this recently. You guys have been so kind and generous with your words and just sharing and saying, hey, Cor, here's, you know, here's what I'm noticing about you. Here's what I appreciate about you. And that, that fills me up. To hear those words of encouragement have been incredibly helpful. Going all the way back to my birthday when Ash sent out a, an email to the entire uh, church and she said, hey, send, send some notes over for Cor's birthday. He would love that more than anything else. And then all the way through this pandemic experience, you guys have been so generous with your words. And that fills me up. Those words of encouragement, they're a big deal. And so James is writing and he's giving this word of encouragement, but it's not what you would expect. Because it's not just him saying to his church, I know you're going through a painful situation. He actually says something very bizarre. He says, be rejoice, rejoicing in the midst of the trials that you're going through. Rejoice in the midst of these difficult situations. It's a strange word of encouragement, but it's not unique. In fact, over and over again throughout the Bible, this word of encouragement shows up. It's an it's a encouragement to the people of God to say, in the midst of what you're going through, God is at work, so trust him. 
Let me give you a parallel example. The apostle Paul was a missionary church planter. He traveled around preaching the gospel. And when people would respond to that message, believing in Christ, he'd plant a church. He'd gather people together. He'd establish a track for leadership. He'd later on, or if possible, immediately appoint elders. Um, And then he'd leave and he'd go replicate that over and over and over again. But at young churches, he wanted to circle back around and encourage them. And so in Acts chapter 14, he's doing that. He's with his missionary team. He's going back to these younger churches and he's giving them a word of encouragement, but it's not what we would expect. Listen to it. It says, then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith, saying this, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. The word of encouragement, the consistent word of encouragement in the scriptures is that believers go through difficulties, but they are for our good. They're, they're unique opportunities for us to glorify God and for us to grow in our Christ likeness. But that's the word of encouragement that James has for his church. And his church is going through a very painful experience. We find out about it in the book of Acts in Acts chapter eight, they have been persecuted. Now it's easy to say that word and to kind of blast right by it and not think about what that would be like. This church is persecuted. They've been scattered. This is how it's described in Acts 8.1. It says, on that day, on the day of uh, actually an execution of a believer, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Persecution is when people look at an opposing worldview, an opposing idea, and they say, that is something that I cannot live with. And they respond to it with hostility. And they begin to look at the holders of this contrary worldview. And they say, we want them gone. And we would be willing to do harm to them if they can't toe the line. If they can't embrace the major cultural worldview that most of us hold. I feel like a lot of that's kind of happening in our social setting right now. Obviously, it's just unrest everywhere. But there's hostility and and. Um, There's hostility in different worldviews. And if you don't share the same worldview, people are growing more and more hostile and angry. I want to just say, I'm saying this as an aside so that we wouldn't become the persecutors. So that we as the church wouldn't be the ones who are inflicting harm on others who maybe see things differently than we do. But this church was persecuted. And here's what it looked like for them. They're living in Jerusalem. They're part of this church. But the hostility is so rampant that they have to leave. So think with me about what that would feel like if today you felt that your commitment to Christ put you in jeopardy and you felt like you had to go home, pack up your stuff and leave. If you had to leave your comforts and your schedule and everything that's normal right now and you had to leave because you felt like if you stayed put, the people who hate your guts would come and do harm to you, maybe even taking your life. You'd have to leave. So there'd be a disruption of all kinds of things. There'd be a, a loss of normalcy. You, you, you would no longer know what normal looks like because you'd be out of your element. You'd be living in some diff, different place. You, you would probably have a loss of income. You would, you would no longer have that economic stability because you'd be somewhere else having to figure out what life looks like now. There'd be a loss of all kinds of different things. And there are many parallels then to what we're experiencing today with a pandemic. 
the disruption that we're going through, the, the loss of normal, the loss of income in some cases, the loss of normal comforts that we usually enjoy and all of that is going on. And, and so we can relate to what these people are going through. Obviously not in the exact same way, but we can understand that, that the difficulties are real. There's a pain in them that they're hard to deal with. And therefore what James says is very bizarre. Consider it joy. Look at verse two, consider it pure joy. When you're going through these trials, look at them and, and estimate them to be worthy of your rejoicing. Very strange thing to say, to look at somebody who's going through a traumatic experience and to say, I want you to, est- to estimate that what you're going through is worthy of your rejoicing. I want you to count it, to account what you're going through as something worthy of your rejoicing, worthy of your joy. God is at work. Your current trial may be the occasion for your growth in Christlikeness. Now, obviously, this is a big change in perspective because many of us, when we're going through that difficult season, what do we do? We grumble. We complain. We get irritable. We get angry at other people and other things that are causing us difficulties. And this is telling us that Christians ought to be the most joyful people in the midst of pain and hurt and difficulties. We ought to be able to go through these things with this sense of anticipation that God is at work. And so we look at what we're going through and we say, okay, this is incredibly hard, but God is really, really good. And he's going to use this in a way that is beneficial for me. He's going to use this in a way that actually helps me to glorify him. Going through this is actually going to be a good thing because on the other side of it, I will be a better Christian for having gone through it. This is how Paul puts it in Romans chapter eight. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. He's saying that what we are currently going through, this is the apostle Paul, and he went through all kinds of trouble and difficulties and hardships. He says, what I'm currently going through as a believer, I don't even consider that worthy of comparison to the glory that will be revealed in us. God is doing something and we're going through this difficulty, but the the outcome is worth it. It's glory. It is incredible glory. And the two then, they don't even compare. That what we're going through right now, as hard and as challenging as it may be, it can result in a glory that just eclipses the pain and the struggle that we presently experience. So consider it pure joy. Be people who rejoice that that you're going through a trial. Now, this is obviously odd and, and it's hard to do, but this is what we're being encouraged to embrace. That whatever it is that you're facing right now in the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of this disruption, in the midst of this social political unrest, consider it joy. Believe that God is gonna leverage this moment for the good of his church and for your good. Now, this suffering, this pain, it comes in many different ways. In fact, at the end of verse two, it says, whenever you face trials of many kinds, I wish that uh, there were like three options, you know, that there were just one, two or three. And you said, this is, my, this is pain. This is what it looks like. One of these different things. But the truth is it comes in a variety of forms, which makes it hard to manage. And it often surprises us what we deal with. And so there are all kinds of different experiences of trauma and pain and, and therefore, we, we need to figure out how do we navigate 
the complexity of what we're going through right now? How do we deal with all these various trials? Now, I just have in my notes a few different things that I think some of us are struggling with right now. Some of us are type A personalities. We love to come up with a plan. We love to write that plan down, set goals to get there. We love having a calendar that's filled up and we know what's coming down the pipe. We love that. In the midst of a pandemic like this, there's a loss of control. We write, right now we write our plans in pencil. Sometimes it really feels like we're writing it in sand on a beach and the waves just keep erasing it. But we're making plans and we've lost this sense of control. And that is really, really hard on us. And so that pain can be a, a difficult thing for us to navigate because we have lost control. But what if God in the midst of this is teaching us humility? What if in the midst of this, the loss of control is actually for our good so that we become more dependent upon God and his will? For some of us, there's a loss of income. The, the disruption of the economic situation right now has resulted in furloughs and losses of job and losses of projects that, that would generate income. And, and so for some of us right now, the, the challenge really is, how am I going to manage this next season? How am I going to be able to go, get through this thing? And, and it's traumatic. But what if God in the midst of this is teaching us simplicity? What if he's teaching us not to care so much about monetary resources or what we have, but he's teaching us simplicity so that we actually interact with money in a different way after this. Some of us, we've lost comforts. We've lost what, what we used to call normal. And, and that can be really, really hard on us. But what if in the midst of that, God is teaching us to be earnest? That maybe our faith was something that was just kind of tacked on to an already full life. And it was just kind of an aside, but now we're learning the importance of being fully committed to the things of God. What if God could use the trials that we're going through right now to make us better believers? What if we could consider it joy when we go through these trials? That's exactly what our Lord did. In Hebrews chapter 12, it goes like this. It says, for the joy set before him, talking about Jesus Christ, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus was able to look through and beyond the cross to what it would accomplish. And it was joy. He was looking at our salvation. He was looking at our redemption. It was going to be hard. It was going to be traumatic. He was going to sweat tears of blood. He was going to be physically tortured and executed. But he was able to look beyond that and say, there is joy set before me. There's glory beyond this and through this. What if we did the same thing? What if we considered it pure joy when we go through trials of various kinds. The second thing we find here is that there's a process that God uses the trials and he uses it in a way that works that Christ-likeness into us. So God is using the trials for our good and it involves a few different things. It involves being aware that he's at work. It says in verse three, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Going through a trial doesn't automatic, automatically make you better. Sometimes it makes you worse. Sometimes it's, it hardens you in your unbelief. Sometimes it actually provokes some unbelieving characteristics in you of anger and hatred and malice and bitterness and rage and envy. So just going through a trial doesn't automatically make you better. It's when you're aware that God's at work and you embrace it. 
you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Some of us need to acknowledge that today. What I am going through, God is providentially using it for my good. He can use this to produce in me perseverance. There's an element of testing involved with it. It says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Now, testing, it's really two different things. On the one hand, testing is revealing what's in you. It's a test that kind of shows you. It's not that God doesn't know, but it shows you what's really going on on the inside. And then the other part of testing is the testing itself produces something. So uh, testing reveals stuff that's in you. When the Israelites were walking through the desert wilderness for 40 years, they were being tested. Moses wrote about it in Deuteronomy chapter eight, and he put it like this. This is Deuteronomy eight too. He says, remember how the Lord, your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Here's what it's saying. They're going through this lengthy experience, lengthy traumatic experience. And here's why in order to humble and test them so that they would know what's really on the inside. What we're going through right now, it reveals something about us. Maybe before all of this, we thought we were mature. We thought we were doing a really good job. And all of a sudden the disruption is causing us to face some of the facts about our hearts some of the things that are in us, some of the ways that we respond and react to what we find in our world. Our heart is spilling out. We're having to deal with the truth of how we think about things and how we process things. And, and, and the testing then is, is humbling us and it's revealing something about us. That's a grace of God. It's not fun. It's not fun to be honest about shortcomings or the need of growth. But when we do that, when, we, when we're honest, it is, it, it is beneficial when you begin to realize that there are things in you that God is identifying and addressing, it's beneficial. The other part of testing though, is that it actually does produce something. It makes you stronger. I told you guys, uh, I tore my ACL last summer and then had surgery on it. And so right now I'm kind of in that phase of recovery where I'm testing my knee, where if I want to get back to doing some of the things that I love, I have to test it out. I run on a treadmill for a certain amount of time and I see how it responds. And then I run longer and then I do different maneuvers and exercises to try to see how, how it responds to different impact or, you know, how strong it might be. But all of that is a testing experience. I want to know, could I go back out to the wakeboard park and do something that I love? But the testing itself is actually making my knee stronger. That when I'm doing these things, it's actually helping me to, to move in that direction. And so the testing that God is doing is, is something that's actually producing strength in you. So it produces perseverance, verse 3, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. It's, it's making you steadfast. It's making you the kind of believer who's resilient. It's making you the kind of believer who can navigate all the challenges of life in a broken world and do that with grace and poise. It's making you into something and it is a work. Look at verse four. Let perseverance finish its work. Again, it's not this magical thing that you go through a trial and you're automatically a great believer or a great person. It's a work. 
It's a work and it's going to feel like work. It's going to be kind of a, a, you know, you're going to grind it out. You're going to keep trusting God and you're going to go through this experience, but it is a work. Perseverance will finish its work. So finally, here's the purpose. If we're thinking about why on earth would a good God allow us to go through these awful experiences, here's what we find. We find out that God is using it providentially for good. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. The process has a purpose. God is doing this in order that, so that you might become something that you're presently not. He's allowing for these things to happen and for you to go through them. And he's working alongside you in the midst of it in order that you might grow as a believer so that you might become mature and complete. That is the outcome that the perseverance would finish its work so that you would be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So here's the question then, what do you imagine is missing? And maybe this is something you've never even thought through before. But if you are going through a trial and God is using it purposefully to bring about maturity, here's the implication. You're missing something. There's a gap. There's a gap in your discipleship. There's something that you don't presently have that God is trying to onboard into your life. What is it that might be missing in your life? What, What do you think the change agenda is that God has for you right now? And I can't answer that for everyone, but I can offer a few different suggestions, some categories for us to think through and consider. The the major trials that I've been through in my life, there's usually a theme that emerges where I begin to recognize, okay, God is doing this. This is something that is immature in me, that is not complete. I'm lacking in this regard. And a theme emerges, and for a a couple of them, the major ones, the theme emerged of the need for humility. And it was recurring, which means I I learn slowly, and I have to repeat my lessons over and over again. But that humility piece was was something that showed up in the midst of trials, where I began to realize, oh, I think I know everything. I think I know what's best. I think I have a plan. And and through the midst of trials, there was an incompleteness in me that said, Cor, you are lacking in humility. That humility shows up in different ways. It shows up in your relationships. So humility is one that I would suggest is a big one. Another category that you might consider today is Christian character. Maybe in the midst of the trial, your heart is being revealed and you're finding in you more of the weeds of the flesh Instead of the fruit of the spirit, you're finding anger, malice, rage, hostility, envy, bitterness, all these different things are just kind of spilling out of you. And God's saying, hey, I want your character to match the beauty of my son, Jesus Christ. People are not hearing from you the good news because they don't see you to be a good news person. They see you to be somebody that they don't enjoy being around. Your character is incomplete. And God might be in this moment through this trial saying, here's here's what's coming to the surface. I'm working in you this need to become complete and mature in this regard. You need to display the character of Christ, no matter what the circumstances are. Another category that might be really important in this moment, especially given the social environment that we find ourselves in, maybe one of the ways that we're incomplete is that we, 
we're not charitable with other people. We know what we know. And if somebody doesn't agree with us, then, then we hate them. And maybe what God is doing here is he's saying, look, this is an opportunity to grow in Christ's likeness. Christ had an uncanny ability to be with people who thought differently than him. And he loved them well, and they responded to his love. And maybe in this moment, that's what God is, that's what God is working on. He's helping us to become mature and complete, lacking nothing. So my hope for you is that you identify what God is up to in this that you would recognize that the trials that you're going through are painful, but you can be joyful in the midst of them. You can believe that God is working a process of making you more and more and more like his son. And he's doing it with a purpose so that you would be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Let's pray. Lord, I look out on my friends and my family my church family, and I want nothing but good for them. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help each of us to embrace this word. We are going through trials, and I'm sure we will continue to go through trials of various kinds. And I want to be the kind of believers who respond to trials with joy, who recognize the opportunities that trials present for us to grow, so we acknowledge you're testing our faith. And we acknowledge that in some regards, we might be failing the test. There might be things that are being revealed that need to be addressed. We also believe that you're using the trials to grow us, that you're making us stronger, that you're making us people whose faith perseveres. And we believe, God, that your desire for us is maturity. And that is a good and beautiful thing. So we want to embrace this entire thing. Help us to become more like your son. We pray in his name. Amen.